the Culture Guy Podcast. This is the second episode in August of 2016. We have a few noteworthy updates. And a return guest. Welcome back. Thank you for being a true fan, listener, repeat, downloader of the Culture Guy podcast. This is Christian, your host, also known as the Culture Guy. I really appreciate you being back. I really appreciate you subscribing to this. And as you like this program so much, I would invite you and encourage you to share it with your network, with your circle of influence, and also use the hashtag the culture guy podcast. So use the pound sign and the culture guy makes, makes it easier for people to find it. So this is the second August episode in 2016. And today I would like to point your attention to the website, theculturemastery.com. Check out the blog section. There is quite a few new stuff out there. One being a guest blog by my friend and mentor and also partner in crime, if you will, uh, Jerry Redman. He's the CEO of a nonprofit organization called Second Life. With that organization, he is helping fight the really important fight against human trafficking, sex trafficking, which is a horrific crime against humanity. And he wrote a blog post for our websites called We're in the Human Dignity Business. I really encourage you to read that and share the heck out of it. People need to know about this work. They need to see and read and feel what's going on there. This is something that is really, really important and that's why we as a company, The Culture Mastery, are really proud supporters of their cause. Also, we've done a few new blog pieces that sh should add to your cultural learning and also we've compiled a little infographic. You'll see an article called The Table of Elements for Global Business Readiness. So check this out, uh, tell us what you think, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, LinkedIn, Google Plus it, whatever you want to do with it. And most of all, give us feedback. Let us know what works, what doesn't work. We thrive on your feedback. And today I also would like to share a huge win, a big celebration, even though it hasn't happened yet. But my um, application was um, given the thumbs up. I applied to present at the CETAR USA annual conference and hooray! I was admitted to speak, so now I'm a little scared. I have to really put together a two-hour program, which will be awesome. And I invite you to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma in November. All the details are on the website. Make sure you check that out. Um, I'll be talking about the power of masterminding to build 
um, cultural competencies. So I think this might be a topic that will interest a lot of the uh, conference attendees and you as you listen to this program. I've mentioned the power of masterminding before. Um, if you're considering and still on the fence whether you should go or not, consider this my invitation, CETAR USA annual conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma in November. And I can't promise anything. However, I'm already talking to a few people um, to become guests on this podcast to talk a little bit about the uh, background of this conference and share some more insights and give you even more reasons why you should attend and come to Tulsa in November. With that, I would like um, to introduce, or I don't know if I need to introduce him, because he's been a guest on this program before. I've um, had the pleasure to talk again to Joe Lurie. Joe Lurie is the Executive Director Emeritus of the University of California, Berkeley's International House, and he's also the author of the book um, Perception and Deception. He was on here a couple of months ago, and the response was so great, we needed to have him back. So he has a few more stories that we didn't have enough time in the first uh, podcast we did with him. So with that, welcome back, Joe. So we're back again with Joe Lurie, author of Perception and Deception, a mind-opening journey across cultures. Joe, thanks for coming back on the program. Um, our audience loved part one, so we had to have a part two, right? So Joe, you told us a little bit um, in the first episode that you uh, worked for Berkeley's International House uh, after your Peace Corps experience. Would you care to explain to our audience what the International House is and what, what today's significance is? Yeah, let me just take a little segue there from the Peace Corps because it didn't jump right into the International House from the Peace Corps. But in effect, what happened was I became so um, aware of the importance of understanding cultural differences and and aware of the negative effects of, of perceptions of Africa in the United States, which I thought and still do think affect racial relations in the United States to this day, mm -hmm. that I decided that I was going to, in the beginning, um, go back into academia and go into African studies so that I could kind of bring this knowledge back to my own country. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately, for a long, it's a long story, but ultimately I decided I, I did not want to be an academic, that I thought that the best way that I could promote understanding across cultures, all cultures, was to get as many Americans outside the country as possible. So for a long time I became a study abroad uh, administrator, uh, ultimately leading to working for uh, the American Field Service, AFS International, mm -hmm. and that ultimately, you know, uh, in effect, almost 25 years later, led me to becoming executive director of International House at UC Berkeley, which is a residential and cultural center which houses close to 600 students from 80 countries and 25 U.S. states. Oh, wow. And the whole notion of it is um, that by living together and doing things together uh, through programs, through social activities, through intellectual programs, through eating together, uh, through interacting on the floors, et cetera, et cetera. This is the best way to familiarize people and get them comfortable with each other as individuals. Mm. In fact, uh, you know, it was a privilege to serve there, particularly for me, because it was the very first interracial living center west of New York City in the United States. And I know this is hard to believe, but for the people who have stereotypes partially true about a progressive Berkeley, Berkeley was once as 
uh, conservative and segregated as Mississippi. And really? When, yes, and when International House was first placed on the UC Berkeley campus in 1930, it created an uproar because people were afraid of miscegenation, which mm. was illegal in those days, illegal. Oh my goodness. And some of the first interracial marriages came from International House at UC Berkeley in, on the West Coast. The first fraternities at Cal, uh, some of the major institutions at the University of California and in surrounding areas were integrated by the students who had had this experience there. Mm -hmm. All right, so I came to International House with this background uh, of working with Americans who uh, we want to get abroad and to have immersion experiences like the kinds I had in one way or another in the Peace Corps, as well as working with students from other countries who could enlighten us about their worlds, their views, and in the process learn about the United States. What better way to do it? Exactly. Living together. Than yes, beautiful. Together and discovering each other naturally um, without you know, kind of preaching. Yes. So, and I want to applaud you for that because um, um, while I did not have that particular experience, my my worldview was changed or opened through a foreign exchange experience. I was 17 years old when I left my pond. I was the frog, as you said on on our last show. I was the frog that left his pond to to hop into another pond. I came from Germany as a 17-year-old and was a foreign exchange student in the beautiful state of Minnesota, where I was a, a high school student for a year. And I lived with a host family that was foreign and strange to me in the beginning and, and after all these years uh, we're still in touch so it is life-changing it is mind-opening I applaud you for for that work well it's also a source of continued learning for me because in watching the encounters at International House I was learning things continuing to learn things about other cultures uh, as well as hopefully imparting some of my own experiences with the staff and the residents, uh, as well as the public, because it's also an area which is meant to interact with the local community. Mm -hmm. So, um, just to give you a sense of this, you know, when people from such diverse backgrounds come and live together, they discover, you know, the limitations of their ponds, as we discussed in the first section, the segment together. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I remember a PhD student from Turkey saying, "Oh my God, when I came to live here, people couldn't believe I was Turkish because I have blonde hair." Another woman who was from the United Kingdom, a black woman, said people couldn't believe that I, they just kind of dropped their mouths when they heard that I spoke the Queen's English. Uh, an Iranian, you know, uh, who happened to be Jewish. Oh my God, I thought all Iranians were Muslims, not mm -hmm. even realizing that only 50% of the population is Persian. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of insights are an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. And the ability to encounter one's own stereotypes and prejudices and limitations are unlimited. So, for example, I remember an American student uh, who said, I love this place, but I just can't sit with those Japanese students. Why? Because when they drink their soup with noodles in it, they make this sound. The slurping sound, yes. Yeah, the slurping sound, which mm -hmm. for him was disgusting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, those of us who are brought up in cultures where slurping is natural and it makes you enjoy your soup, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. But he basically saying, I couldn't sit with them. Mm -hmm. So negative was that experience with that sound. Now, the beauty of this is ultimately he came to be comfortable with it. And then three months later, after he told me he couldn't sit with Japanese students, and I said, well, you're, you're basically eliminating 80 million people from your life. <laughs> it was a great pleasure <laughs> to see him you know, sitting with Japanese students three months later and actually slurping soup with them. Excellent. On a more, you know, on a, 
a profound, as profound, perhaps more profound way, but in a more political way, after 9-11, the experiences and the potential of a place like this, and I'm not saying that everybody is uh, deeply transformed, but I would say most of the people who live there are deeply transformed by the people they encounter who are different. And difference becomes something to be intrigued by, not to be frightened by. Yes. So, for example, after 9-11, uh, your listeners will certainly know that there was tremendous fear and there was tremendous scapegoating and 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 Sikhs uh, who, who happened to have turbans who were killed thinking that they looked like Osama bin Laden and they're not even Muslims and all mm -hmm. of this business, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, th the one story, one of many, but the one story that I wish to tell about this, about the power of International House and the power of International living together is about a woman who was originally from Iran. She was living in the residence halls on the UC Berkeley campus, not I House. And she had converted to Christianity so she wouldn't feel marginalized in this largely Christian society. Hmm. Um, and then 9-11 came and all of her so-called Christian friends turned on her. Oh my goodness. Because they knew she was from Iran. Oh, she must have a Muslim background. Hmm. And so basically, you know, all of that hatred that she, she experienced unjustly uh, she then began to hate everything about America. So then she said, I'm going to move to International House. You know, they're only with people from other countries. Well, she didn't realize that by mission, the house has 25 to 30% of its students being American, so it wouldn't be a foreign ghetto. Mm -hmm. And when she got there, uh, she, she, she asked about her roommate. <laughs> she was horrified to learn that her roommate was an American. <laughs> Not only that, Christian, the roommate was from South Carolina. Well, then her stereotypes kicked in, and she yeah, said, oh, course. my God, you know, here I have coming out of this dorm where everybody hates me, and they're going to put me in a room with a southern cracker. Mm -hmm. And by serendipity, the woman with whom she was to room turned out to be a lovely, sophisticated, literate, welcoming, gentle individual. So what could have been a stereotype and a hatred for the rest of her life turned into a beautiful friendship which permitted her to say well you know the next time I meet an American whether they're from Mississippi Alabama or maybe they're from San Francisco and I won't be so quick to think they're a progressive mm. you see what I'm saying yeah or, so she, yeah. she learned her lesson and how how the the perception became a deception how the stereotype doesn't always serve us I would want I, I would assume and I, I think I know a little bit about this because we talked before that you took all of these uh, experiences into the corporate world I know you worked with American Express you worked with companies like Google um, how, how were you able to to transfer your experience into into work that adds value to corporations who do business globally well, you know, one of the things I noticed at an American Express and at Google and, and other international kinds of organizations, whether corporate or nonprofit, was that people, irrespective of their values, do tend to self-segregate with people who speak the same language, have the same background, uh, were raised in the same kinds of environments. So at American Express, I remember vividly, uh, somebody asked me just this question. And there were people from uh, many different countries and many different ethnic backgrounds from the United States. So I asked the question, I said, well, how many of you have ever attended an African-American church? Hmm. Nobody. Hmm. And I said to some of the African-Americans in the audience, how many of you have ever invited any of your colleagues here? Nobody. 
uh, and I said, you know, that's the first step. That personal relationship is the first step to being a more effective team together uh, in your own operations. Um, American Express had basically invited me to come to talk a little bit about the significance of crossing cultures, and I tried to make it applicable to conducting business. So in the same way, um, with Google, which is a great company, brilliant young people, but because of their brilliance, it doesn't necessarily mean that they feel comfortable with people who come from different backgrounds. Not that they're not discriminatory, uh, didn't, I'm not suggesting that in any way, but people I noticed in the dining room, they tended to eat with people from similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, in, in discussing that, um, I said, you know, there's a lot you can teach each other. So that it may be ultimately not necessary to bring in a cross-cultural trainer like me, but to, to talk about how to conduct business across cultures, but to be spending more time with each other and learning about each other's cultures in ways that can be adapted for the purpose of uh, more effective communications when you're conducting business in other countries uh, and with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, th those were kind of the lessons that I think can be learned with even the most sophisticated of companies and NGOs. Hmm. Do you still provide these services for, for corporations? Um, you know, from, th from time to right now, my, my major uh, uh, preoccupation, I do, some, I do teach intercultural uh, communication uh, at Berkeley and in other places, and I, I'm obviously very involved with the book. Uh, book uh, tours right now and trying to spread the word about my book because I you know as you'll see as uh, for those who get a chance to read the book much of it are the stories that illustrate the points yes. of the mishaps yes. uh, of um, crossing cultures the minefields and um, uh, misunderstandings that often occur um, but you know from time to time I do get calls I just got a call last year for example from the Institute of International Education that asked me to uh, do a workshop for women from the Middle East and Africa who were high-tech women and were coming to the United States for the first time to be mentored by women, mm -hmm. um, uh, women in the United States who are high-tech leaders. And the purpose of my workshop was to help these women from the Middle East and Africa understand what they were seeing in the United States and to help the women from the United States to understand some of the interactions they were having with the women from the Middle East and Africa. So, for example, I mean, it was pretty startling to the women from the United States that these women from the Middle East and Africa, many of many parts of which are very sensitive to dogs coming into the house, right? Mm -hmm. Many of us who love dogs, like to have pets, don't realize that in many cultures, dogs are considered dirty and are not considered to be appropriate in the home. Mm -hmm. So, can you imagine when one of the first observations of many of the women from the Middle East and Africa said, what is that hotel there called the WAG Hotel? Now, there's a chain of hotels out here, and I think it's a growing thing in the United States, where wealthy people can actually put their pets, their dogs, and their cats, they call WAG Hotel from the, you know, the pet, in a hotel. And they have a choice of eating plans, type of suites, and even being able to look in on your pet from Skype, a webcast, to see how they're doing when you're traveling the world and doing business across the globe. This was such a shock, a shock, or a shock to go into some of our supermarkets and see that some of the areas, uh, of the amount of pet food there was, yeah. for example, compared to uh, 
let's say, organic produce. Mm -hmm. So I mean, those are the kinds of things that I think can be so revealing in those kinds of workshops where it's not you speaking to a one-dimensional crowd, it's you working with a crowd from diverse backgrounds where you are hopefully able to facilitate their teaching each other. Excellent. Joe, um, of course we will have the link to your book in the show notes so our listeners will be able to uh, to find it and hopefully purchase it for, for their own reading pleasure. Where else can people find you online? I'll be happy to post your LinkedIn profile. Are there any other ways you would like people to interact with you via the internet? Well, you know, the, the book website basically gives more information about me and if anyone's interested in um, contacting me about further speaking engagements or cross-cultural training. So that's all available on my book website, you know, perceptionanddeception.com. I think you have that, right? Yes, we, and we will make sure to post it in the show notes so people yeah. don't have to write it down now. If you're driving, don't get a pen. No, um, please. Keep, keep your hands on the wheel um, and stay focused. We'll, we'll have it and, in the show notes, and you can easily access that information. And then LinkedIn. Of course, I have a profile on LinkedIn. And then the other one... Um, which is a growing phenomenon right now, is I have a YouTube channel. So if people were to, you could probably find the link. If yes, you like, we'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll have that as well. Solar so. YouTube, and I have uh, maybe about 15 YouTubes on there now. Which are excellent, by the way. So I encourage you, after you're done listening to this, go over to YouTube and watch Joe. After you listen to him, you should watch him as well. Yeah. Joe, thank you so much for taking time. This was excellent. Um, and, and I, I'm really appreciative to, to be able to, to uh, glean from your experience as, as many others are by, by reading your book and, 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 and listening to you. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully our paths shall cross again, maybe on this podcast, maybe in a different uh, context. Um, Godspeed to you, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, Christian. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you personally because I know I have a lot to learn from you. Thank you. Perception and Deception, a mind-opening journey across cultures. That's the title of the book. The author is Joe Lurie, and you just heard him. Make sure you check out the show notes. There you will find a link to uh, the Amazon posting of his book where you can actually purchase it. And we'll post a link to his website, Perception Deception, as well as to his social media outlets. Also, make sure to check out the rest of the blog. As I told you, Table of Elements for Global Business Readiness. It's right there for your disposal. The guest blog by Jerry Redman on the human dignity business. And all the other podcast episodes that we've had in recent months. You can just click on the category link podcast. It will show you all the other episodes we've done so far. And make sure you click on the blog post about the CETAR USA annual conference. You will find the link to CETAR, see who are the keynote speakers, all the master workshop facilitators, how you can get signed up, which hotel you need to be in, how to get there, everything in and around Tulsa. 
everything you need to know about the conference, basically. And of course, I would love to hear from you. Email me, send me a direct message via the Facebook or the Twitter handles. All the links are in the show notes. I don't have to repeat them. Just make sure you click on them, interact with us, and send us suggestions. Who do you want to hear as a guest next on this program? Is it probably you? Who has an awesome story they want to share about cultural adjustment and the full moments you had when you did cross cultures? And make sure you click on the contact tab to sign up for our newsletter, The Cultural Reflections. All we need is your name and your email. That's all we ask of you. Don't do it while you're driving, though. Just go on theculturemastery.com forward slash contact or just follow the navigation on top and that'll take you there. And you'll get something for free. White papers. Yay. With that, I say until we hear each other again, or rather until you hear us again, Stay tuned, interact with us, engage with us, don't be a stranger. Until the next time, next episode of the Culture Guy podcast. So long for now, and trust your process.